Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. That was a that was a that was a Mike Shore at peace. That You're was like peace. a. It was like a, we were in a spa, and I was. <laughs> I was, <laughs> was. I'm just very relaxed. I've got like a mud mask on, and I'm. Yes. I'm in a, yeah. I'm Cucumbers just, in the eyes. You yeah. got that. The whole thing. This is. This is good. How I, are you? How are you feeling? I'm great. Thank you for asking. It's now it's also it's been a while since we've done this already. We did it and then it's been like three weeks or something since we've done it again. And in the time that uh we've been off, you almost lost your mind tracking major league <laughs> players who hit two home runs in a game. I guess I should is- say congratulations. I should start by saying congratulations because the streak ended last night. It did the the streak of two homers uh, in in somebody hitting two home runs in a game went thirty seven days. So yeah, so I believe it is between podcasts. I believe uh, thirty seven days, and uh, it finally ended. We were recording this on Thursday. It uh, ended Wednesday night, and honestly, it, I mean by the I mean just barely ended. Right, like everybody was bombed. There were fifteen chances for somebody to hit two home runs in a game last night. Um, what do you? Th- I mean, there are so many different ways to talk about how insane this year is with home runs, but that that gets it right. Thirty-seven straight days where at least one person hit two home runs that that pretty much defines what two thousand nineteen is all about. That's, don't you think? That's pretty good. I mean, I I put a thing up on uh, on Twitter recently where uh, I I was like, you know, it seemed it, you've written about this. It's like it seems like everyone has twenty-five home runs, right? right. That's like. And, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to look this up. So I wanted to see how many how many guys hit 20 home runs. Now, when I was a kid back in the, uh, the early 1920s, there <laughs> it was a big deal. 20 home runs was kind of a big deal. That's you like, were a power hitter. You were a power hitter. Home if you hit 20 yeah. home runs, if you hit 30, you were among the best players in the league. But if you hit 20, like that was a big deal. So I was like, okay, yes. let's see how many guys there are with 20 home runs. There were with uh, as of this is as of August twentieth. There were eighty five guys in the league <laughs> yep. who had hit twenty home runs. Eighty five. Now, keep in mind, you know, that, so that whatever. There's there's thirty teams. You're basically talking about three guys on every team. And uh, I went back thirty years, and I thought, like, let's go back past the, the PED era, back to the when I was a kid, uh, nineteen eighty nine. How many guys uh, hit twenty home runs in the entire season of nineteen eighty nine? The answer is 38. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> with six weeks left in the season, 85 guys with 20 home runs. And by the way, at least 15 or 20 more at 18 and 19. So oh, yeah. we're, we're easily going to get to 100 major leaguers with 20 home runs. Oh, it's going to be well more than that. Because yeah. here's the thing. So I have started keeping a chart, and this was as part of my two home run experience, um, which people, by the way, are trying to get me to do again. Um, because, because there are, uh, as of today, there are 39 days left in the season so that if, if this would go on for the rest of the season, they would break this record that, that was just set. Uh, and people are thinking I need to stick with this until I can guarantee that this, uh, is over. And that is because people hate me. I think that's the only explanation I can get for why people would want to do this. But as part of doing this, I have, I am keeping a chart I am looking at it right now of every the number of people who have hit every home run number from 1 to 50. So I can tell you there are 502 players as of this moment who have hit 
a home run in 2019. <laughs> so I, I have this chart because I just keep it updated. It's it's kind of fun. It's I just go through the box store and update it. So I can tell you how many home runs would you say now you have to have now with six weeks left in the season for it to be I'm not going to say a sure thing, but a pretty reasonable guess that you're going to get to 20. What what would be your number that you, you would know, get? I, you know, 16, 15, okay. 16. Okay, let's say 16. Okay. There are 137 players with 16. <laughs> 137 players that, I mean, not only uh, can get to 20, but probably will get to 20. How many runs. have how many have 18? Because that's, uh-huh. that's almost not a guarantee, but if you have 18 homers, I mean, obviously some of those guys are hurt now and, and some of them, you know, maybe some of them got a late start in the season. I mean, the, here's, here's the craziest thing. Before we do 18, you realize that like one of the people who has 20 home runs is not Aaron Judge and one of them is not Giancarlo <laughs> well, right. Stanton. And like there are a bunch of guys who are, are you know, shoe-ins or layups to hit 20 home runs in any given year. In fact, mo- in most months, they're likely to get 20 home runs and they don't have them because they've been hurt all year. You know, and, and obviously that's the case every year, but when you're talking about home runs specifically, there are so many guys in the league who don't have 20 yeah. that should, by all rights, have 20 because of the time missed or whatever. That's pretty crazy. Oh, it's it's nuts. It's not, and that's the thing. It's like I can tell you how many people are going to have 18 have 18 home runs right now, but you and I both know there are some guys who have like 11 now right. or 12 that are going to get to 20. Like Aaron Judge will probably get to 20. Right. He has, what, 13 or he something. He has 13 and, and, yeah. is, and is heating up. <laughs> and is heating up. So – so he can hit seven home runs in a week. I mean, like that, like that's he's he's going to get to twenty, and he's not even on our chart. There are a hundred and eight players who have hit eighteen home runs this year. Oh, um, man, here's here's the thing that's interesting about the chart. I, we we've got a lot to do today, so I don't want to spend too much time on this. But here's something that's really interesting to me. So up to a certain number, it's pretty clear that the record is going to get set in in 2019. So like. More players are going to hit a home run in 2019 than than ever before. There are 502 have already done it. The record is 536. That's definitely going to get broken because once people's getting called up in September and all that. So, and you know, we're almost at the record already of people who have hit eight home runs or more, 17 home runs or more. So the numbers are already getting close. But when you get to the really, really high numbers in like in 2000, 12 guys hit 42 or more home runs in the season that probably won't get broken right. this year, you know, because I mean, there are 11 guys with 32 or more now. Um, and even those guys, that's going to be tough for them to get hit 10 more before the end of the year. So like the highest of high end home runs are still the ceiling era guys. I mean, seven guys hit 49 home runs in 2001, which I mean, you look back on that, seven different guys hit, hit 49 home runs. So that's not going to happen. So so what's happening here? Is, is that really as simple as back in those days, there were, you know, a few players and probably, you know, with PEDs being very involved, who sort of rose above the rest of the league. And now everybody's hitting home runs because the baseball is crazy and this is the this is the style of the game. I mean, do you think it's just more of a league wide thing now? Yeah, I mean, if it's not the extreme end of the bell curve, it's the entire curve, right? right. So that right. suggests a league wide uh, improvement in home run hitting ability, and some of that is an is a younger generation of guys 
who yes. came up from you know with an emphasis on launch angle and a, a complete disregard for the individual base hit. It's not in it, the analogy has been made many times, but I don't think it's that different from what's going to happen in basketball over the next five years and is already happening really has happened to some degree, which is everyone watched Steph Curry hit threes. And now every player, I mean, look, Zion Williamson took three pointers at Duke. He's eight feet tall and weighs 500 pounds and he can shoot three pointers. There's no player in the league who can't shoot threes. And if there was, They've learned, they've taught themselves. Brooke Lopez became a good three point shooter because that's the way the game went. And it's just the same thing. So there's it, you know, when, when the, when the curve itself is just way, way, way wider at the top, meaning the average guy's home run total, the median home run total, um, and the number of guys who have that number, the standard, the standard deviation is much wider so yeah, that to me, I'm not a scientist. That certainly implies a league-wide thing instead of like, oh, there's 25 guys using PEDs, and those 25 guys are all going to hit 55 home runs, and everybody else is doing what they normally do. But it, it is wild to look at this list because there, I mean, you know, look at the guys who have 19. Jordan Alvarez, uh, the 22 year old <laughs> monster from Houston, has 19 home runs in 56 games. Oh, it's insane. It's he's crazy. He's 22 and he's had 19 home runs in 56 games. Mark Canna uh, of Oakland has 19 home runs in 92 games. Contreras in 87. Carlos Correa has been hurt the whole year, doesn't have yeah. 20 yet. Like Derek Dietrich has, has only played, he's played in fewer than 100 games. Teoscar Hernandez in, on Toronto played in fewer than 100. Luke Voigt. The bane Luke of our Voigt. existence. Luke Voigt has been hurt forever. He's got 19. He's going to come back in September and hit five in a week. So it's just, it's it's a league-wide thing. We can debate about whether it's good or bad, but it is everywhere. There is no team that is not uh, uh, affected by this. And the question is, does it continue? Do they correct for Do they course correct? Do they use a different ball next year? Do they deaden the ball? Do they move every outfield fence back to... You know, is it going to be 500 feet to center field? And what's going to happen? <laughs> it's it's such a great question. By the way, you you mentioned all these young players. You, uh, as, as I think podcast listeners know, uh, for our recording thing, you sign in with a with a name, and you always sign in with a a different name. And you signed in this week uh, as Will Smith, um, not the not the Fresh Prince Will Smith, but the Dodgers uh, catcher who in 28 games has 12 home runs. Yeah. And, and, and he, he wasn't like a prospect. Like he was, I mean, he was a prospect, but he, he was just, he was just somebody the Dodgers had like, yeah, we like him. He's fine. And then they call him up and he's, he's an absolute monster. I mean, it's, it's lunacy, lunacy, um, how good some of these young players are. And I do think the, the, the talk about the baseball is very, very real. And there's no question in my mind anyway, that the baseball is, um, a very, very substantial part of what is going on in the game. But I think you're right too. I think we do have that four minute mile um, mentality out there, right? Where you break the four minute mile, then everybody breaks the four minute mile. I mean, it's everybody knows to come into the game now that, that you're going to strike out and you're going to hit home runs. And the more home runs you hit, the, the, the more you win. I mean, that's, that's basically, you know, the, the strategy. And so You've got these kids like like uh, Jordano, Jordan uh, Alvarez. You got uh, Will Smith. You got uh, Aquino, the the Reds guy. I mean, they're just coming in and swinging, and they're crushing the ball. It's just a 
it's different. It's just a different yeah. era we're in right now. I mean, the the other thing to say is that there, you know, another Zion Williamson analogy here is there didn't used to be baseball players who looked like Aaron Judge and Aquino or and Alvarez. They're just they didn't used to exist. Like yeah. the the human athlete body has undergone a revolution. You know, Will Smith is five ten and weighs 195 pounds. That's right. what baseball players used to <laughs> look like. That's right. That's um, right. But, the, but the, you know, the, there are just these guys now who are, uh, you know, who are 6'7 and 6'8, and they weigh, uh, you know, they weigh 300 pounds, and they're really athletic. They, they, yeah. It's not like a, it's not um, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, uh, late in his career, uh, kind of a look. It's a. It they can run. I mean, Aaron Judge is an incredibly good defensive right fielder. Yeah, he gets yeah. good jumps on the ball. He runs really fast. He lays out. These guys are. Um, these guys are not human. I mean, or Alvarez. Alvarez is listed at six five two twenty five. There's no way he weighs two hundred twenty five pounds. I weigh one hundred and eighty pounds. <laughs> he weighs. He's he's two fifty if he's a if he's an ounce. And oh yeah, I you know it. Th- that's the other aspect of this that you know maybe we're not talking about enough is just how. I mean, if you saw those games that the Reds played when they uh, when they went sleeveless when they went with the old Ted Klozowski uniforms, <laughs> right. those guys are jacked. They're monsters. They're enormous guys that you don't you don't think of as being enormous are enormous. Their arms are absurd. And they're, you, I think you wrote about this recently, right? There used to be this feeling that you shouldn't lift weights too much because it hurt yes. your flexibility or whatever. And then everyone was like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> what is that based on? And they all just started, you know, nutrition regimens and, and crazy weightlifting and plyometrics and all this stuff. And then also for some of them, illicit substances. And they're... <laughs> enormous these guys are enormous and so all of these things combined the balls seams aren't as raised so there's less drag they've been taught to hit with launch angles and not care about striking out they're enormous monsters uh you put all those things together and yeah every like 18 teams are going to break their home run record for the year yeah yeah it's 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 totally it's you're 100 right and i think that that what what always happens with these kinds of deals is um there's a headline. So like the, the 1990s and, and it's not really even worth arguing. PEDs were not the only reason baseballs were flying out in the 1990s. Uh, the strike zone was minuscule. Ballparks were changing. Uh, really the workout thing had just started uh, where players had really started working out even beyond uh, whatever they might've done with, with steroids or whatever else. Um, the game was fundamentally shifting and and hitters moved ahead of of pitchers and and the strike zone was a big deal and the ball was probably a little bit juiced as well so there was a lot going on and and that's not to downplay whatever effect PEDs had because they had an effect I'm sure but it wasn't the only thing and I think it's the same thing now it's everybody is talking about the baseball and the baseball is is unquestionably an effect here but you're right these guys I mean we're seeing guys now like Alvarez, who's 6'5", 225, and you just don't even blink an eye. You're like, there was two guys in baseball, like Dave Winfield and like maybe somebody else, Dave Parker or something, yeah. who were like 6'5", 225, right? I mean, it's like guys that we thought were huge, like guys that we would look back at uh, at the time and thought, oh my God, that guy is the biggest monster ever, like Jim Rice or something. 
you would go back and then you'd look at Jim Rice and it's like, he was big. He was, you know, but not, not like these guys, you know, it's like he, he was at the time he seemed just, you know, bigger than life, this big, huge monster. No, he probably weighed 200 pounds and, and, or, or less. And, you know, he probably listed, you know, he listed at six, two and he was probably like six, one really, you know I mean? It's, it's, and now these guys are listed at six, five, six, six, and they're probably bigger and they're listed at two thirty, and they're probably bigger because it's just a different, it's just different. And, and it's, you know, it's all the same things that we've talked about all the time and what would happen if the 72 dolphins played a team of today, <laughs> It's the same thing. Like the size differences is just hugely different, but they're still playing in the same size ballpark. So. Aaron, Aaron Judge is bigger than Gronk. That's what I always come <laughs> back to. He is taller than Gronk and he weighs more than Gronk and he's the right fielder for the Yankees. That's like all, what else, what else can you say? Like what that's, else can you say? that's yeah. not a thing that existed in baseball before. Um, he, at, I I don't know if you should. By the way, I think you kind of got off easy. I got to say on the two home run thing because <laughs> here's why. Why if if baseball were really trying to kill you as you thought it was, um, yes, the, it would have been. There, sure, there were guys like Will Smith, and there were like unexpected guys who hit two home runs. But I think there there are two ways that I was expecting this to go down that didn't. Um, one of them was. Last night I was sort of tracking it and I was like, oh my God, he's gonna it's gonna be over. It's gonna end. It's gonna end. Then the Dodgers were up on the Blue Jays, one nothing in the ninth inning, and Kenley Jansen gave up a game tying home run to Rowdy Tellez, who has one of the best names in baseball. <laughs> Great name. Um, Great. And they, went, and they went into extra innings and someone, I think Will Smith, had already had accounted for the lone Dodger run with a home run in like right. the fifth inning. So I was like, Oh, this is how it ends. It's the last game of the night. It's extra innings. It's a Will Smith walk off for his second home run. So it like it will like that. One of the ways that you hadn't been hit by this was a a, a walk off to end a game being the second home run for someone. That would have been great, especially when it was a West Coast game. It was the last game on the, the schedule, game, right? Yeah. So that so that didn't happen because before Will Smith could hit his walk off, Max Muncie hit his walk off. Side note: Max Muncie has thirty-three home runs. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, today the Red Sox and Royals are continuing a four-to-four game that was suspended by rain in the tenth inning. And in that game, I think Xander Bogarts hit a home run in in the actual game. And now they're going to pick it up. And I was like, oh, I, I saw this coming a week ago, and was yeah. like, ooh, maybe on that day. Xander Bogarts will hit a second home run as a walk-off, and then that will technically count as being a guy who hit two home runs in a game that was played on this day. And you'll and you'll have a you'll try to get off on a technicality and say that the game actually was played on the previous date. And I will vehemently argue that no, the, the second home run was hit on this date. Like there were there were ways that that baseball could have tried to murder you more severely than it. Then it tried to murder you. Well, but here's my question for you, because because you have this, this is you are on record saying that if, if uh, Xander Bogarts would have done it uh, in the game, you would have fought vehemently. And I don't think I would have been able to argue with you. But we almost had a situation last night where the Brewers and or Brewers and whoever they played wasn't Orioles. <clears throat> they they went in. Oh, Cardinals, I think, went in extra innings. Oh, no, they didn't go in extra innings. It rained and the game was delayed. And it looked like it might be, it wasn't going to get, they were going to have to play on because I guess the, I think one of the teams had gotten more at bats, maybe the Brewers or something. Um, and they would have had to play it at a later date. Uh, and then 
what if somebody had hit the second home run? Would that retroactively have counted? Interesting. Uh, for yesterday's it would have been uh, game. A, it would have been a fun debate. I don't think, by the way, I don't think you have to take this up again unless it's, it's I think you should treat this like um, the way people treat hitting streaks, which is ignore it. If it gets to 20, I think ah, you, I, I think you pick it up again. You know? <laughs> okay, so I think that's fair. I yeah. think that's fair. Get it up to. I think I picked this one up at seventeen. So maybe if it actually gets to seventeen, maybe I should say or go to start start it at nineteen because it's nineteen will be more than halfway. So if it gets okay, to nineteen yeah, and it's 19. more than halfway there, it's it's like when the the MLB app doesn't tell you that someone's throwing a no hitter until they they're through five, <laughs> right? So get get more than halfway through and then you can officially alert people that it's happening. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The the uh, the great thing is, you know, I had been promising uh, my uh, my um, readers uh, that if we got to forty, there were, we were going to have a special treat for for the for the readers, and uh, and uh, of course it ended at thirty seven, so they never got there. So people don't know what that special treat was going to be, but you do, you know what it was going to be. I, I, the special treat was that I was going to give you a break and write your column for a day. <laughs> I was, I was going to step in as a substitute teacher and say, Joe is on a mental health break. He needs to just chill out for a, a second so that he doesn't lose his mind. And I was going to write the two home run column that day. That was going to be is, the special treat. That yeah. is going to be the special treat. So if the, I'm going to say right now, if this thing really does go, to 19 if we really get back up to because if we get it back up to 19 there's like a real chance they're going to break this stupid record again because i it's to me it was such a fluke that it didn't happen last night i I just like the orioles suddenly magically didn't give up any home runs and (laughs) and the astros were playing the tigers and only scored one run i mean the twins didn't score the twins well giolito shut the twins down so like there were a lot like the universe kind of conspired to help you a little bit I I will say that the if you want one one data point for how insane this home run thing is, Justin Verlander threw a two hitter and lost because both of the hitters were hit solo home runs. He lost the game two to one. He did not throw a single pitch out of the stretch because those are the only two hits he gave up, and they were both home runs. So he never threw a pitch with anyone on base, and he lost the game. That is wild, and I'm, I know that things like that happen in baseball every year. I know I've listened to Tim. I've listened to Tim Kirchin talk enough about baseball, where I know that crazy, fluky things happen all the time. But that is a specifically 2019 occurrence. Justin Verlander throws a complete game, strikes out 11 or 12 or whatever it was, gives up two hits. They're both solo homers, and he loses because his team only hit one solo homer. <laughs> it's it's nuts. It's nuts. And the, the the Braves had one of those games where they scored five runs, two of them on a triple, and the oh no, one on a triple that scored somebody on first, and the other two on two run homers. It's like that's all. That's the only way it is. Listen to this Justin Verlander thing. Now Verlander, we had considered Verlander as one of our podcast players of the year, uh, and I don't. He might still be because we don't really know how that works. But listen to this. He's given up 110 hits this year. He has an 806 whip, a .806 whip. He's given up 110 hits this year. 33 of them are home runs. I mean, that's that's absurd. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely. He's given up 55 runs. 33 are home runs. I, it's, it's, <laughs> how many home runs? How many runs has he given up not on a home run? Probably like four all year. I mean, this is. 
it's it's incredible. He's unhittable unless you hit the ball over the fence. Yeah, he has 239 strikeouts in 178 innings, and he has a 277 ERA. Like that's yeah. way that's a run higher than you would guess. I mean, Garrett Cole's not that different, right? Garrett Cole has 226 strikeouts in 156 innings. He has a yeah. 287 ERA. I mean, it, you know, it, it is. I mean, Domingo Herman. Uh, who is the Yankees' best pitcher? Somehow is sixteen yes. and three with That's a four fifteen ERA. <laughs> yeah, but what? But look at what that ERA plus is for that four fifteen. Oh, I, I, I'm on the, I'm on the Cy Young predictor page on ESPN oh, right now. Okay. So, all right. So if you look up, uh, if you look him up, and this is just a whole, this is not specific to the home runs, but to how many runs are being scored this year. Domingo Herman is sixteen and three with a four point one five ERA, and you look at a four point one five ERA, and you go. That's below league average or league average. It's a 108. It's eight percent better than league wow. average. Yeah, because and that's you know it's it's just how many runs are being scored. He uh, the um, other he, in against Minnesota uh, in late July, Herman threw three and two thirds innings, gave up nine hits, eight earned runs, three homers, uh, and the team won the game. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a crazy, crazy time. It's amazing. All right. So we need to go on to to uh, a couple of uh, points of business. Everybody knows that we're all about segments. Plus, we have new music this year. Uh, our our musical director, David Von Kampen, uh, sent in new music for, for our new segments this year, which is very exciting. And our first segment is simply, uh, how many home runs are the Orioles going to give up? How many home runs will the Baltimore So right now, the Baltimore Orioles have given up, uh, let's get the exact up-to-the-minute number, 258 home runs, which is tied for the all-time record. We are. It's August 22nd. There are six weeks left in the season. They've already given up 258 home runs, tying the 2017 Reds, I believe, for, for the all-time record. So they're going to break the record tonight, assumingly assume. And, uh, and so the question is for you with six weeks left in the season, how many home runs will the Cincinnati, will the Baltimore Orioles give up in 2019? They're at 258 on August 22nd, right? Yeah. Yeah. I predict they give up 700 home runs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the great thing about them is they've been on this insane pace to give up 300 home runs. Um, like pretty much all year. I mean, it's just right. the number that team is, is amazing. I mean, it is, it's just amazing. David Hess, who's been on the DL for quite a while now, he's only uh, pitched 75 innings has given up 28 home runs <laughs> in 75 innings. That's, that is literally that's 70, that's 75 home runs over 200 innings. That's, that's it's 28 home runs. That is a, uh, that's a, 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 I would call it a, a tidy 3.4 homers per, uh, per nine. Um, but that is not even the team leader in, in homers per nine because Dan Straley has given up 22 home runs in 47 innings. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Home that's run a, every other inning. You give up one home run every two innings. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what's here, here's the wildest thing though. 
the Orioles don't have the worst record in baseball. I know. I know. To explain and that I, one, I mean, I the, the way to explain it is they've scored 110 more runs than the Tigers, and the yes. Tigers have given up 120 fewer runs. But, but, uh, but that is that is insane to, that the Orioles are not technically speaking, they're not going to get the number one pick in the draft <laughs> because even though they're going to give up 338 home runs this year or something. It's they're they're really uh, first of all that Tigers team is astonishing right they're just astonishing they're not astonishing in as in the fun ways that the orioles are no the orioles i mean this home run thing is hilarious i mean it really really is i mean it's not for orioles fans but for the rest of us it's it's an absolute it's just astonishing and you can go through all the things that the yankees did to them i mean which is just it's inhuman the the what they were doing and then you look at that the, that tigers team and it's like the team leader in home runs is Brandon Dixon with 14, 14 home runs leads the Detroit Tigers in this season where that's, everybody's that's, hitting home. That's runs. seven innings of Dan Straley. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, it's, I'm sorry. It's 20, it's 28 innings. Fine. It's 28 Here, innings of Dan Straley. Here's a little fact. I don't know if you know, this is a little baseball fact, kind of trivia might be one that you want to take back with you. Ron Gardenhire is the manager of the Detroit Tigers. I'm sorry. I just, Ron Gardenhire is their manager. So is that their problem? Are they like bunting and hitting and running and stuff? <laughs> is that what's happening? I, I just, look, and I like Ron Gardenhire. He's a nice guy. I like Ron Gardenhire. But I don't know. It feels to me like if you're saying in 2019 with all that's going on and all of the analytics and all of the, all of the launch angles and, and the complications and how much the game is, it's really like saying, like, yeah, our manager is John McGraw. It just feels, <laughs> doesn't it feel like like something from a distant past is happening? Yeah. That Ron Gardenhire is the Tigers the, manager. The Tigers have two players on their entire team who have more than one war. <laughs> two. Nick, Nico Goodrum is 1.3 and Castellanos is 1.1. That's it. Those are the only guys on the team who are worth more than one win to their team. That's... That doesn't seem good to me. That doesn't. That, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so uh, so I guess they're tanking, right? I mean, the idea is that they're that they're. When you, by the way, Castellanos is not on that team anymore. You know. Oh that, right, that's right. right. So yeah, they have one. I mean, that, that's for hitters. They do have a couple pitchers: Boyd, Turnbull, and Norris, and Green are all worth more than one pitching war. But still, I mean, that is that that's is something bad. else, man. That's bad stuff. All right, let's. We are going to talk about our podcast player. So here's where we left uh, our podcast player story. We we drafted like ten podcast players, potential podcast players, and we did that a while ago. And uh, now we're coming toward the end of the year, and we never chose one of them. So as far as I can tell, they're all podcast players. It, it, is is there a way we can we can choose between them? No, legally speaking. Because we failed to actually make a decision, uh, yeah, that that's the situation. Le- they have they all have a legal claim. They all have a legal claim on podcast <laughs> yeah. players. So, so I say we go through it. We actually have the podcast player tracker that was sent to us by uh, Alan Clemens, who uh, is uh, I would call Alan uh, the single most astonishing sort of mind of of like Alan lives in England. He, I have no earthly idea how he even became like a baseball fan. And I certainly have no idea how he started listening to us, but Alan has sent us two of the most amazing things. One, which you and I, at some point we're going to do something with, 
uh, where he came up with the hundred greatest athletes in history around the world. Yeah. Remember that? Chart? That was that really cool. Was really, really cool. And then the second thing he did, he did an entire podcast player tracker for us uh, that you can actually find the link. It's on it's on my uh, Twitter and I'll, I'll put it back out there again where you can keep up day to day with these stupid, stupid stats we invented uh, to determine who our podcast player is. So uh, so I guess we just should go through it. Well, the first thing we should do, because we have special music for it, is we should talk about uh, whether or not Chris Davis is going to hit 247 for the fifth year in a row. Can Chris Davis hit 247? Five years in a row. And he's not. He's not going to hit 247. <laughs> it's <laughs> sort of but... I was going to say, well, he's hitting 220 now, right? He's hitting 220 and... and uh, I mean, it could get hot. It could, it could happen. It's very yeah. unlikely. Really unlikely. And by the way, a tragedy, like a baseball tragedy that that I'm so rooting for him to get hot and and bring that thing up because that Chris Davis hitting 247, and especially the number being so like so random is 247. Uh, it's one of my favorite things. Absolutely one of my favorite yeah. things. Yeah. Now, the question that I have that, like, th- this isn't, look, it's not the same thing. We can't pretend it's the same thing, but there are a number of guys on the team who might hit 247, and we could say that they're doing it in his honor. <laughs> you know, <they're> just... <laughs> a stand in, a Chris Davis stand in. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a bunch of guys, like, uh, uh, let's see here. If we go, if you sort, we, this is not on the podcast tracker, but, like Chad Pinder is at 246. Uh, Fle- uh, Fegley, their catcher, is at 243. Grossman, Piscotti's at 250. Chapman's even at 257. If he slumps a little, he could do it. So I, I, I'm now, given that Chris Davis is now 27 points below what where he needs to be, so would make it unlikely he reaches it. I'm now rooting for someone else on the A's to hit 247 just to sort of honor what, what Chris Davis was able to achieve. <sighs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If I, I, I think, a good, first of all, Chris Davis seems to me to be an excellent teammate. So I would think that somebody would want to, they, they see, they see sort of a teammate down and they'd want to pick him up. Right. And actually the best would be if Matt Chapman would do it. Right. Cause Matt Chapman, Matt Chapman is, is having one of those years that I love because it's a total 2000, not just 2019, but sort of a, a, a year that, is sort of our decade because if Matt Chapman hit 257 with 29 homers and 70 RBIs, which is where he is now, uh, so he fin- finishes the year with say 247, 34 homers and 89 RBIs or something like that. Um, everybody'd be like, yeah, whatever, that's fine. He's 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 fine. He's fine. But now because we have war and because we look at defense and because we see like the all around player. We actually kind of know Matt Chapman's actually great. Like he's really a great, like an MVP. I mean, nobody's an MVP this year with with Trout, but an MVP candidate type of player. And that's only true now. We would never have known that in the 70s or 80s, right? Yeah. Yes. He he really is um he's like a superstar. He's and, a superstar. And in no and like people generally speaking don't pay attention to anything that happens in Oakland. <laughs> but <laughs> but this team is really fun. This team is really fun. And they're getting hot. They've now beaten the Yankees twice in a row. Like they, they it is a com- a team of complete nobodies in the sense that 
baseball is not paying attention to them at all. And I, I really am rooting for them to make the playoffs and then make some noise in the playoffs. It would really be lovely if in this year when there are so many huge stories and so many like that, you know, New York is loaded and then the Astros are loaded and everything. It would be kind of weirdly fun if the A's somehow snuck in there and, and had a deep run in the playoffs because they're, they're really fun to watch. It is really fun to watch. I encourage everyone, if you haven't watched an A's game, watch an A's game. They've got relievers that you've never heard of who throw the craziest pitches. I sent oh you a God. screen grab the other night. That it was oh. it was like they're throwing, and Brandon, yeah, of course, had to weigh in. The, the MLB app <laughs> recorded a pitch as a 100-mile-an-hour slider, and I just Brandon's sent like, it to you slider. guys. It was like, what the hell? And he was like, yeah, no, it's just a fastball. And I was like, come on, fastball, man. Don't... Not a slider. His slider's like 90. Yeah, really. I was like, don't take this away from me. Let me, let me have this. <laughs> but they have a, they have all of these guys on their team who who you've never heard of who throw insanely hard. They throw 98, oh 99, 100, all of them. And and there, it's really fun to watch that, especially that bullpen. That team is really fun. It is. I mean, you you watch Liam Hendricks, and nobody even knows who Liam Hendricks is, and and he's crazy. He's yeah. just crazy. I mean, he's got. You look at him; he's got the one four eight ERA, the ninety three strikeouts in sixty seven innings. I mean, this is just. I love that team. I really do. I, this. I like. I. I always have liked them. I've always liked Billy, you know, and, and, and David Forrest. And, and I like that ace team anyway. Uh, I like that. They're always, you know, up going uphill and all the other things, but there's something about this year's team that I particularly like because there's nobody cares. I mean, nobody knows them. Nobody cares. Nobody, they don't even have any like Jason Giambi's or, or, you know, Moneyball type players that you're like, Oh, well, you know, other than Matt Chapman, and and they just keep going and they're getting better and better and better. They hit the home runs. They hit, you know, but they don't hit home runs like with one guy. They've got like all nine, ten guys, you know, that that hit for them every day. Hit home runs. I mean, man, they're good. I like that team a lot. Yeah, they're great. I like that team a lot. All right, Derek Dietrich is one of our podcast players. He's on the uh, the IL. Are you getting used to calling it the IL? No, I hate it. It's the <laughs> DL. Everyone knows it's the DL. I get why they changed it, and and yeah. I respect it. I respect the the reasoning. I mean, it it makes sense. I I, I don't oh, want to absolutely the right move. It just yeah. made just hard for me to remember that that's what it's called. To me, the IL means the International League because that's where that's the, exactly right. It's where the Pawtucket exactly. Red Sox used to play. And so when I see he's in the IL, I'm like, oh, they demoted him. Jeez, <laughs> that's exactly right. He uh, we, we wanted Derek Dietrich on our thing because Derek Dietrich was on pace at the time. Um, to uh, have more hit by pitches than walks. Uh, and he also had a chance to uh, pull off uh, what we're calling the Baylor, which is 30 walks, 30 hit by pitches, and 30 home runs. That's a He's classic, not gonna get a classic stat. Everybody knows that stat. <laughs> That's right. And then there's the double Baylor where you where you have you add 30 doubles. Everybody right. knows that. Yeah. So the very rare uh, double Baylor. <laughs> He's not going to get there because of uh, the IL thing, and and he's you know he's just not getting that many at bats. But he does have a chance for the hit by pitch walk thing. He has twenty three hit by pitches this year uh, and twenty six walks, so he has a shot. All right. So we're still in still in the mix. We'll call it the half bailer. <laughs> we'll, call it, we'll call it the half bailer. I think that's fair. Well, while we're with the Reds, I think we can eliminate one. Um, uh, we can eliminate one. Well, wait a minute. Is it with the Reds? Yeah. Uh, well, we can eliminate one, I think, uh, because we had originally had Luis Castillo as uh, as a podcast player with the hopes that, admittedly, even at the time, we said that this was 
pretty unlikely. But we were hoping that he would have a uh, whip under one uh, while still leading the league in walks, which we right. thought was uh, like kind of an impossibility. As it turns out, it is an impossibility. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he is no longer doing either of those. He's not leading the league in walks or is his whip is 1.123. It's not going to get uh, below one. Right. But he's still good, though. Yeah, he's, he's real good. good. Yeah. You, what, do you, what do you think of that Reds team? Because that pitching staff is like – pretty good all i know about the reds who i've paid criminally little attention to this year is that every single time a crazy story of a crazy person doing something crazy in baseball pops up it's always a red <laughs> to the point where it's like how what is this team i don't understand this team that it's they're 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 actually fairly close to 500 uh, it should be they should be they should be they're they've scored more runs than they've allowed yeah they and they have you know? like you know, it, it it makes me sad to think that they're gonna not contend before Joey Votto is like runs out of gas. You know, because he's kind of already running out of gas. Yeah, That's I know. It's a bummer. It's like he's. He's struck out a hundred times this year, and he's only walked fifty-seven, and that's a bad sign for if you're Joey Votto, yeah, because uh, that is his superpower. But they have they have a bunch of these weird guys that you're just like. I mean, Derek Dietrich ha- is hitting two oh seven. And has a five fourteen sucky percentage, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, obviously they got a little less fun when Puig left the team, but yes. um, Aquino is a is a is an insane monster. Um, they, by the way, they they list him at six four one ninety. He's not a hundred and ninety pounds. <laughs> no way. That's no what are you way. talking about. Like, why do we ever trust these these uh, media guide measurements? They're you tell me that guy is 190 pounds. He's, he's 190 pounds from the waist up. Yeah, exactly. That's that is a one foot on the scale, 190 for sure. I, it's uh, no, it's crazy. By the way, the one other fun thing about the Reds, and and we could he's he can't be a podcast player, but we can uh, we can adopt him as the podcast manager. Uh, David Bell is getting thrown out of games at record rate, which is just wonderful in so many ways, especially because. His dad, Buddy Bell, also got thrown out, thrown out of games. And nobody got thrown out of games like Bobby Cox, right? Bobby Cox is is the I, – I just put a chart together. I'm going to do a piece on this. Bobby Cox is like – he's the Wayne Gretzky of getting thrown out of games. Like not only does he have the most career, but he has like five of the highest totals per season. It's really actually quite astonishing that Bobby Cox somehow seemed to maintain this sort of – grumpy but but genial old man thing for so many people around baseball when he was really really obnoxious i mean it's like he he went i mean in addition to whatever private life things he had uh the guy got thrown out of games constantly and so so is david bell so uh i i respect that i respect that a young a young david bell getting out there you know mixing it up a little bit with the with the manager with the umpires until they are replaced by machines in the next two years or whatever is going to happen. So, um, did you ever hear? Anyway. The, did you ever brief aside? Did you ever hear the story of? Um, I think it was Doc Rivers and Steve Kerr uh, and or Steve Kerr uh, trying to get thrown out of an NBA game. Have you ever heard this? No, no. So, um, uh, it was a day they were playing a, a day game on a Sunday. Um, I I can't remember whether Steve Kerr or Doc Rivers. I know that's a weird thing to say. They're very different human beings, but. Um, basically, uh, Tiger Woods was making a run in a, in a, in a major 
and okay. they were and it was like all right we're we're gonna get thrown out of this game and go back <laughs> to the clubhouse and, and watch it so like four minutes into the game something happens and i again i can't remember who let's say it was kerr he starts he he goes ballistic and he starts screaming at the at the ref and he's losing his mind he gets teed up and then he just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and the ref refuses to give him the second tee <laughs> And then he eventually just goes back to the bench. And then a couple of minutes later, he tries again and he goes out and he's screaming and yelling and freaking out. And the ref looks at him and goes, listen, buddy, if I can't watch it, you're not going to watch it either. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, it's so great. There was, there's, there's one the I think it was a Yogi Berra one where Yogi Berra, like on a really hot day was trying to get tossed out and, and the umpire said something like, yeah, if I got to be out here, you got to be out here or something yeah. like that. So I love that so much. All right. Um, so one of the one of our uh, podcast players, Fran Mill Reyes, is one of the podcast players because he's Fran Mill Reyes. He's awesome in every way. By the way, he's a monster. Yeah, he is enormous monster. Yes, he's an enormous monster. He is now with Cleveland. We actually had two with him. One which he is not going to get there, and and in fact, nobody uh, is going to get there. We were looking at the potential of having a. 300 on base percentage, but a 600 slugging percentage, which by the way, if that was ever going to happen, it was going to happen this year. Yeah. Like this would be the year for it. But the guys that we were looking at, uh, Hunter Renfro, Jay Bruce, Fran Mil Reyes are not going to get there. So uh, that's fine. But we still have a chance at the quad Reyes, which is uh, where Fran Mil Reyes hits four times as many home runs as he has doubles, which I love. <laughs> So he's behind the he's behind the eight ball on this right now. He's got 29 homers and 11 doubles, which is awesome in every way, by the way. Uh, but that's it's going to be tough. He's he's going to have to have 15 more home runs, which he could, but he's also going to have to hit uh, no more doubles. That's right. I don't think that's going to happen either. He's only he's at he's at th- a, basically a three to one ratio to go to a four to one is it's going to be hard. Although it was pointed out on this incredible podcast player tracker sheet. That from June first to July twenty second, he hit zero doubles and ten home runs. So if he does that again over the next six weeks, he would be getting close to the quad Reyes. He'd have a chance. He'd have a chance at the quad Reyes, and and uh, you know I respect it. I I uh, I love for him. How could you not love for Bill Reyes? Like there's if if the the complaint about baseball that i hear all the time is that everybody's Fran Mill Reyes right that everybody just swings for the fences and hits incredible bombs but doesn't do anything else and it's really not true like th- like most of the players that you're talking about do a lot of other things well they play good defense they're good on the bases these are great athletes but Fran Mill Reyes is that guy like he is that is all he does the only thing he does is he stands at the plate and swings really hard and hits bombs that's all he does and it's for him it's glorious it's just glorious to watch him do it he's listed at 65275 which means he's really 75875 <laughs> you know who i feel bad for it just occurred to me who i legitimately feel bad for Okay. Willie Mo Pena. Oh, <laughs> Willie, boy, it, would he have loved this time. Willie oh. Mo Pena entered this league 15 years too early because if Willie Mo Pena were around right now, he would be Fran Mel Reyes. Oh, that's right. You know, because like no one would care that he, Fran Mel Reyes has 119 strikeouts and 33 walks, <laughs> which is on pace for 200 strikeouts and 57 walks. He is, he's hitting 255 and he has a 500 slugging percentage. That Willie Mopena could have done that. 
Oh, yeah. You know, oh, like, yeah. why not? William Opeña in batting practice was an absurdity. Just an absurdity. He was just, he just hit 500 foot home runs like they were nothing. Yeah. Like they were nothing. And there, that skill of being able to hit batting practice home runs like that, I realize that you can't take that to the field, that it's like a totally different thing. But that's still an astonishing skill. You should be able to go on the road with that, like a vaudeville act. Just go to town to town and watch just you get to watch him hit 500 foot bombs in in batting practice it's it's an astonishing thing to see all right justin verlander actually was one of our podcast players uh well potentially we are looking for somebody to do the bly levin which is to give up 50 home runs in a season has not happened it happened only the once when burt bly levin did it uh verlander's given up 33 home runs mike leak has given up 34 i don't I don't think either one's going to get there. Not enough time. They'll both give up 40, which is amazing, especially because <laughs> Verlander is also going to win the Cy Young Award this year. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. Well, if, you know what? I mean, they're giving up many. They're giving many more home runs per inning uh, more than Blylevin. Right. Like Blylevin threw 267 or 70 innings the year he gave up 50 home runs. These guys are going to not going to do anything like that. I, in fact, how many innings has Verlander thrown this year? Is he still what did I say? 150, 178, 178. Okay, that's a lot, actually. So he'll yeah. probably get into the 220s, maybe, or 210s for sure, um, which is, you know, which is today, that's pretty reasonable. So, you know, he's given up 1.7. The great thing about him is uh, he's given up 33 home runs, which is a ton, obviously. And that's all he does is give up home runs. It's either strike you out, uh, get you out, or give up a home run. Um, He's given up 1.7 homers per nine, which is a lot. But then you look at the rest of the team. They're all doing that. Everybody on the whole team has given up. Like, you know, Garrett Cole's given up 1.4 homers per nine. Brad Peacock's given up 1.4. Chris Stavinsky's given up 1.6. Colin McHugh's given up 1.5. I mean, it's like, it, it feels like, oh, he's, you know, there's something unique. It's basically the what's unique about him is what he does the other 90% of the time. Like well, what's, it, it, this is also all uh, uh, the most probably the most incredible thing that is happening in baseball this year is the season put together by Hyunjin Ryu of the Dodgers, right? Because he's thrown yes. 150 innings and given up 12 home runs. Now Crazy. He, he's also only given up. He's also only walked 18 guys, which is incredible, but he also doesn't strike out a ton of guys. He, he has no, 126 no. strikeouts, which is, it ain't it's, nothing, but it's not more than one an inning, which is what all these other guys are, but to give up 12 home runs, in 150 innings this year is one of the great statistical achievements of all time. <laughs> it's you know what it's funny is that you look at his numbers. I mean, you know, the 1.64 ERA is 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 you know special anytime. But the rest of his numbers they do look much more like like 1987, right? I mean, they look much more like Fernando Valenzuela numbers, right? He's where he's striking out seven and a half. You know, back in those days, you struck out 7.6 uh, guys per nine innings. You led the league, right, in strikeouts yeah. per nine. So, so he's doing that, uh, but he's not giving up home runs, and he's he doesn't walk anybody, which is which is lunacy. How he's just not walking anybody. I mean, he's he's good. Is he going to win the Cy Young? Oh yeah, I think he'll win it easily, right? I mean, his his ERA is a full run lower than anybody else's. It's like it's I, I don't. Crazy. I mean, I I mean, who else deserves it? I ironically, his biggest competition might be Kershaw. Like, uh, yeah, you know, and, and Kershaw, Kershaw's numbers aren't nearly as good as his. He has 20 more strikeouts, but he's given up 16 more runs. He's, you know, his ERA is a run higher. 
I mean, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine who else wins it. I mean, no, the only other people even remember Scherzer. Scherzer, I mean, I don't think he's also hurt right now. Like he's not pitching, right? So he is hurt, but he's supposed to come back. But the thing about Scherzer is, uh, you know, he's he's got he's got a better whip, a better uh, fielding, independent pitching than 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 uh, than Ryu does, which is crazy. He's only given up ten home runs. But yeah. that's in 134 innings. But it's still he's only given up 10 home runs, and he's a he's you know he's given he's led the league in homers in the past. But a 2.08 FIP is pretty special, pretty special. It's, and I again, I, mean, I don't he's, know. What he's he's ridiculous. I I just don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see how much he uh, how much he pitches down the stretch. I mean, he yes, I guess yeah. he could steal it right if he. Especially like you know, Washington's on the outside looking in right now. I think uh, no, they they just got in. Are they in now? Been, okay, because they've been so crazy good lately. Yeah. I mean, so just, if if he pitches, if he goes on a crazy run in the last five or six weeks, and you know, and shuts everybody down and and pitches them into the playoffs, he could. I mean, he could always win. He always kind of deserves to. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. The other, the last one is actually um, a, a a podcast favorite. He probably is. If like between us, you the, the listeners don't have to hear this, but between you and me, Tim Anderson is kind of the podcast player of the of the year, don't you think? Don't you I think, think we're so. kind of, We love Tim Anderson. So uh, for those that did not get to see it, and if you didn't, you know, find a way to 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 get a tape of it, um, Mike was the uh, color commentator for the Angels White Sox game uh, last weekend uh, with Jason Benetti, who is. How amazing is Jason Benetti, by the Jason way? Jason Benetti is officially the, the podcast play-by-play man of the year. No question. <laughs> Every year. I don't even – I don't – I mean, you know, and that's and that's going against my hero, Dwayne Kuyper, but I'm still saying that Jason is the podcast uh, play-by-play guy of the year. Wonderful, wonderful guy and a, a fantastic uh, broadcaster. So anyway, they they did – you guys you guys had fun. You guys had a lot of we fun. Had an, I you? had an incredibly good time. This was a, this was a completely out-of-the-blue thing. Um, Steve Stone takes one series off a year on the road. He took the Anaheim series off. So Jason just emailed me kind of out of the blue and was like, I'm putting together a rotating band of ding dongs to come in and, uh, do color, uh, on the broadcast. Do you want to do it? And my initial instinct was no, that sounds terrifying. But then I realized, you know, when am, when am I ever going to get this opportunity again? So against my better judgment, I, I wrote back to him and I said, listen, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I, if you're okay with a, a very high likelihood of embarrassing failure and flop sweat, <laughs> then great, I'm in. So I went, I brought my 11 year old son, William, and we went and we sat in the booth and I, I, well, first of all, here's the thing. I don't know if I told you this, but we went down on the field. He took us down on the field, met, uh, met Tim Anderson and Tim Anderson gave William his batting gloves from batting practice. Oh, you mentioned it. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. So that ruled. Jose Abreu stopped him in the in the uh, uh, tunnel and was like, "What's up, little man?" and like gave him a high five. And Jose Abreu is a hundred feet tall, and is, uh, that was cool. Then my son went to a camp. So Lucas Giolito grew up in Southern California. He went to Harvard Westlake, which is a famous you know baseball factory and a private school sure. out here. Um, but he saw my son's camp sweatshirt and was like, "Hey, I went to that camp." And then they just started talking. And they taught, I was doing an interview with MLB.com and I looked over and my son was just casually talking with Lucas Giolito for like 15 minutes, <laughs> asking him, literally saying he was, my son, my, it was truly a wonderful experience because I walked over 
And my son was telling Lucas Giolito how what his ERA was that year. Uh, <laughs> and also then said, you're really having a breakout year. He, oh, that's wonderful. He told oh my, God. my son told <laughs> Giolito that he was having a breakout year. <laughs> uh, so the whole, and then, so then we go up to the booth and we did the whole game and it was truly, it was truly a, a wonderful experience. I found it incredibly hard, really um, uh, fun, but like the, the people who do that job well are, are magicians. It, 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 yeah. is a, it is incredibly hard to watch the game, talk about the game, anticipate what's going to happen. Remember everybody's names. I mean, there was one, at one point, someone, someone on the White Sox hit a, hit a two, like a single to left and a couple runs scored. And the ball was uh, Upton airmailed the throw home. And that yeah. allowed the guy to move to allowed uh, McCann to move to third. And then the throw back to third almost skipped past the third baseman. And there were like two or three guys somehow who ended up backing up the play. It was just a very complicated baseball play. And I, even in the slow-mo replay, I found it almost impossible to explain <laughs> what the hell was happening. So I have, a, I, it's not like I didn't have respect before for people who do that job well. I have way more respect for people who do that job well because the ability to smoothly explain what you're watching. People say baseball is a slow game. It is not slow when you're in the booth and, ha- and you have to explain what's happening. And there were a couple of times where, like I, I was in the middle of saying something and then like the pitch would come in and I would just stop talking because I was watching the pitch and then like the guy would foul it off and I would sort of mumble like, uh, eh, looks like it's going foul. <laughs> and I was like, and then I would go, oh no, that was on TV. <laughs> you can't, you can't stop talking in the middle of a sentence and then mumble no. under your breath when you're on TV. So it, it was, it, it was, I would say it was incredibly fun. I'm very, very grateful to Jason for inviting me and also it gave me a whole new level of respect for the people who do that job and do it well. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard because you know it's it's. I, I remember I did a, a a spring training game and and uh, it was for the Royals, so I knew everybody basically. And the thing that struck me was it's super easy to talk about baseball when you don't have to talk about baseball, right? So like if you're in the stands, you could just talk and there's nothing going on, but when you realize you actually have to say things suddenly that doesn't it's harder for things to come to mind when you have to say things um i thought you did great as i've told you i thought you did fantastic and uh and you did you uh, i had a couple of favorite moments a couple of which i've written about if you want to go to uh to my blog but but uh one i did not write about that i that i really appreciated was when tim anderson got a hit and you kind of not not in a very, very touching sort of heartwarming way. We're like, yeah, Timmy, way to go, Timmy. Like it was yeah. like, it was, and it was clear that it was not planned and it was not a joke. You really were happy for Tim Anderson. No, I, I was pretty unabashedly and openly rooting for Tim Anderson in that game. And he had a very good game. Uh, he had a lot of good at bats, but I, I, and I talked about him a lot and how much I like him yeah. as a player yeah. and, and how, um, and how, just how he—he's. I think you're right. I think he's got to be the official podcast player when I all. He's the official. Everybody's look. Everybody gets a piece. They're all in the photo. They're all in here. We're right. not going to keep. We're not going to stop talking about him. But yeah, there's something a little special about Tim Anderson. And Tim Anderson's uh, stat is: uh, we're looking to see if you can pull off the Tito Fuentes, which is to uh, qualify for the batting title. Which, by the way, is not a guarantee with him because he's been. Uh, He's been hurt and, and, you know, I think he'll get there. Um, 
but also have 11 or fewer walks. Yeah. He, has, he has 10 walks. He has 10 walks. He did not walk in the game that you saw him play. No, he did not. He uh, he had a couple hits, though. Um, he did have a, and, and, and a couple of really nice plays as well. It was he, it was a good game. I got to say, he has a he has a um, I did. It looks like, a, again, it looks like a magic trick when he throws the ball across the diamond because he kind so of he, he just kind of flicks the ball like he yeah. he almost looks like he's he's just like um, he's tossed. He's thrown it around the horn or something, but it yeah. uh, but yeah. it goes you know, 95 miles an hour across the diamond. <laughs> he had one incredibly good play to his right. He had another good play to his left. Um, he's just so fun to watch. I just really like fun. watching him. And he's, you know, like he's, he's only played in 90 games, um, but he's hitting 332. Like he would be oh, yeah. in the batting race if he were, uh, if he had played the whole season and he might end up there depending. He might end up there. But Absolutely. He's, even though he's only played in 90 games, he's on pace. And I know what on pace, uh, the traps of being on pace. He's on pace for 30 doubles and 17 home runs and 21 stolen bases and exactly 13 right. walks. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I'm really, really rooting for him. He could still he could he could keep it 11 or under. I mean, he's on pace for 13, so it could happen. I'm just saying it could happen. Uh, by the way, one last point about the game that you did because it it, it is the only uh, Angels or White Sox game that I've watched all nine innings of probably since. The Angels made the playoffs, whenever that was. Um, so it was, so it was good. It was really good for me. I was actually pleased. I'm actually thinking about this as a regular feature where I just watch a random game uh, and write, uh, you know, extensively about uh, things that I noticed. But I have to say, it was watching that game, and you've seen a lot of Angels games, so this probably didn't hit you as hard as it hit me. Man, it's hard to watch Albert Pujols play baseball right now. Yeah, it's so hard. Oh my gosh, he had such. A bad game, such a rough game. Defensively, offensively, he looked helpless. He just looked helpless. And you know, it's it's one of those things where I see the numbers, I know it. I know that he's, you know, basically a replacement player now. I know all of those things, but in my mind, you know, I still see Albert Pools, one of the greatest players of all time. And then to watch him on the field, he, he looks different. His 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 the way he stands at the plate is different. His inability to get to any kind of ground ball is different. I mean, it was hard. I really that was that was a really sad part of watching that game was how hard it was to watch him play. You've seen it offensively for a long time now, but I, I it really hit me defensively because at one point late in the game there was a pop up, a foul pop up that I mean any any first baseman in the league yeah. gets to that pop up and he just yeah. he was just lumbering after it and he didn't even come close. He didn't come he didn't close. close. Yeah. So no. you know it is sad. I mean the the it, it, we've talked about it a lot. It's sad. The the crazy thing is he's going to have 20 home runs this year. Oh, I know. <laughs> he has 19 know. <laughs> and he's going to have one more and he's going to be in the list of people who have 20. <laughs> yeah, no, he's in, in fact he's going to he's going to have a, another year because the because the the offense is so crazy anyway. Uh, and because he's, you know, look, he's, he'll still run into a ball. He's going to end up with a year where he's going to, you know, hit, he's going to hit 20 plus home runs. He's going to drive in 85 or 90 runs. And people are going to say, hey, it's not that bad. Yeah. Pretty eh, good year. Not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty decent year. All right. We got to get to our draft and we're, we're doing, it's going to be a quick draft. We're going to do a very quick draft uh, because we are drafting innings. That's it. That's all we're drafting. Yep. We're drafting baseball innings. And uh, I don't know. It's been so long. Why don't you take the first pick? Oh, it's very kind of you. Um, I thought it was nice of me to do that. Uh, first pick is obvious. It's the ninth. 
I think we know that's the number one pick. Um, the ninth inning is traditionally the site of the most exciting things that happen in baseball. If it's your team and you win, your the ninth inning is is the end. It's where the closer comes in. It's the site of uh, un, of incredible rallies of uh, d- you know the most the highest drama. If you think about even last year, the Andrew Benintendi catch in left field in Houston, that's a ninth inning catch to end the game. Sure. A, a, a play that ends the game that's exciting is a hundred times more exciting than a play that doesn't end the game that's exciting. True. No, that's uh, true. It's an easy call, the ninth inning. That's my pick. It's a it, it's the right pick, but I have to be honest with you. I, I think if I had had the first pick, I wouldn't have taken it. I, here's my controversial take on this. Uh, because what you're saying is not 100%. We don't disagree at all. You're saying, look, the Joe Carter home run, the Bill Mazeroski home run, uh, the Kirk Gibson home run, the, you know, virtually every like super memorable thing that's ever happened is a ninth inning play. So, so I'm not arguing the point, but the ninth inning is some kind of often a letdown. Like, first of all, it's not even a full inning all the time, right? It's like a, you, you, you know, if you're, if you're winning, uh, at home, you don't even play the bottom half of the ninth inning, and and so the the kind of there are things about the ninth inning. People leave before the ninth inning, like like uh, people. That's the ninth, like a inning, ninth inning's fault, though. Well, don't blame the ninth I, inning for that if you're trying I'm, to beat not, traffic. <laughs> but this is my point: if the ninth inning is not compelling enough to get people to stop before you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna leave. They're gonna take. They're gonna beat traffic. No, that, but that's a, that's a fake argument because if the game were seven innings long, people would leave in the seventh inning. It's it's not that it's not the fault of the ninth inning. It's the fact that the it's the fault of the fans who don't want to stay for the whole game. It doesn't if that if you're blaming them for that, you would blame them for whatever inning they left in and whatever, <laughs> however long the game was would be that inning. I guess that's true, but man, that is depressing to think that if the game was only seven innings, people would still leave early. I guess they would. Of I they guess would. they would. Yeah, that's brutal. That's yeah. <laughs> I love the ninth inning and it's, it's probably the right pick, but I just, I just have a little thing. I'm actually going to go with, I think a pretty controversial choice uh, with my first pick. I'm going to take the first inning, which is kind of the most meaningless inning in some ways. It's the inning you forget most, but everything about the first inning, like the game is just getting started. The, there's the emotion. You're going to see the best players up front, right? You've, 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 you got the, the best players at the top of the lineup, unless you're Joe Madden, who you just put whoever you want in, in the leadoff spot, because apparently there are no rules with the Cubs. Um, but I love that. I love that. I love the the drama of the start and, you know, we're getting going and the, the first warmups and, and, and there comes the leadoff guy and, and, you know, the game has endless possibilities, uh, I love the first inning, so I'm going to take the first inning with my first pick. Yeah, that's fine. I, I get it. I mean, look, there aren't that many innings that are that are differentiated. <laughs> that, uh, that's true. It's going to be tough when we start getting into this thing yeah. where, where things are going to go on. My second pick is also is controversial, too, because I know what everyone thinks I'm going to pick, and I'm not going to pick it, and I have a oh, very wow. specific reason why I'm not going to pick it, which I'll, oh. which I'll yell about when you pick it. When I pick it, which will be the next pick that's I know right. you're not going to My pick. next yep. pick is the eighth inning. Oh, interesting. Now, You're going backward. I like this. I'm going backward because I feel like the eighth the eighth inning is like, let's say your team is down by three runs in the right. eighth inning and you score one in the eighth, you have a new renewed hope. Even That's if true. you know you intellectually you know you're still gonna lose. But like the eighth <laughs> inning is the, often the site of a lot of drama because it's the last inning, like the closer is looming in the bullpen and the opposing team's bullpen if you're down. And 
you you have you you're thinking like we just need to score one here and if we can get if we can cut the lead in half whatever you you start really in you're in your end game the bullpens are in their end games defensive replacements come in you know uh, because of the way baseball works it's very often that you the the guys that are coming up in the eighth are like this is your best chance to score you know maybe your three four five guys are up in the eighth and you're like well our you know seven eight nine guys don't have a chance against whoever's coming to close there's just like it you're really like laser focused on the game and all of the, the the kind of end game and the machinations become very clear to you and and you you start thinking like we this is a lefty lefty matchup but if he can just get on base then suddenly they've burned this guy and they won't have him available for the ninth when this guy comes up like it it's it's like the flow of the game is a little bit unpredictable and then in the last two innings it everything kind of clicks into place so yeah. i actually prefer the eighth inning to most other innings I got to be honest with you. I, I not only do I agree with you, I think you could have made an argument the eighth inning is better than the ninth. It's po- I thought about you it. Know, I really thought about really it. It's really yeah. close because the eighth inning is a hundred percent right. There, are, there is there is one thing about the eighth inning that's so wonderful, and in the playoffs it it, it plays out in a whole different way. Everybody knows what's going to happen in the ninth inning. Now, the ninth inning is could be unpredictable because somebody could do something. But you know that they're going to put their best reliever on the mound and you're going to have to find a way to beat them. Like if you have a lead, if they have a lead, you know you're going to have to beat you know, Mariano Rivera in the ninth inning. You know what's going to happen. So in some ways, the eighth inning has like some sort of different drama because, because Rivera's out there. You got it. You you don't want Rivera. You're not going to come back on Rivera. So you're down a run. You better score it right now. So the eighth inning has like this finality feel. But then in the playoffs, they might put Rivera in the eighth. Yes, inning. Like right. I mean, like there's a, whole, yeah. there's a whole there's a whole new element. So the eighth inning, like there's almost like it's almost like that. It's like the it's like the less famous but more successful brother for the ninth inning now, because it's, let me give there you are things that can happen. Let me give you one more great eighth inning scenario that uh, that doesn't happen very often when it does it rules you're, yeah you're you're the home team it's the bottom of the eighth you're down by two runs you put together a rally and someone hits a three-run homer in the bottom of the eighth suddenly mm-hmm. out of nowhere your closer is coming in in the night <laughs> oh, your guys out there like it's you're you're staring at mariano rivera and you're like oh man this is gonna stink and then suddenly <laughs> boom 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 single single walk home run suddenly your closer is up and he's throwing and you're like, Oh my God, now Kimbrel's coming in or whatever that, that, which it never happens but when it does. It is so fun and cool. In fact, there are times where like you're, you're down, you're, you're down two runs and you put two guys on and you send, you know, somebody to the plate, somebody really good. And then you see your closer just beginning to warm up, not, not actually get out in the mound, but just kind of like warm up his arm a little bit and, that's exciting. Like even that's like, yeah. oh, this, wow! If he does this, and yes, you're totally. I'm actually going to tell you, you did well getting both the eighth and ninth inning. <laughs> Thank you. I th- I think the eighth. I think the eighth might be might be better than the ninth. So, with my second pick, I, there is an obvious one to choose. I'm not going to choose it because I think I can get it later because I now know that you don't want it. So I'm going to take the fifth inning, which I think is a tremendously underrated inning. I've actually read a couple of studies that show that in a lot of ways, the fifth inning is the most influential inning of a game. Uh, for a lot of reasons, it's it's the time when you're, the starter is beginning to wear down. 
fifth inning because of the way it works out is is used to be usually it, it's not always, but it can be the time when you're coming up for the third time in the order. The the, the order is turning over on the third time. It's this middle of the game. You're now beginning to sort of be able to see the end. Uh, there's a decision whether or not you're going to keep your starter in the game. Like there's a lot going on in the fifth inning. And, and like from a statistical standpoint, mathematical standpoint, it's really important, uh, which I think is kind of cool, but there's also just kind of a cool rhythm to the fifth inning. I also think the fifth inning is exactly the inning where most casual fans, uh, which is what I'd like to be when I'm not working, most casual fans start wondering how long they're going to stay at the game. I think, right? I think that's the fifth inning. Is that kind of like that's eh, six one? I think we're we're out of here in the seventh, right? You know, or or if it's like a close game, you're like, oh, we're we're digging in. We're going to stick it out. So I think the fifth inning has all kinds of uh, impact on the game. So I'm going with the fifth. Well, it's the right it's the right pick, but you missed the best reason that the fifth inning is great. Okay, which is. After the top of the fifth inning, as you're going to commercial, every broadcaster says the same thing. Halfway home. Halfway home. <laughs> <laughs> going to the, yeah, it's like, a, you know, one, two, three inning for, for Smith. We're halfway home, heading to the bottom of the fifth. Like, I do, halfway, I do love that. Like marking, marking the game is halfway home. And the weird counterintuitive way that it's after the fifth inning, even though the top of the fifth, even though five is not half of nine. You know what I mean? Like I, I love it when they say halfway home. I love it so much. Halfway home. I totally agree with you. All, All right. right. So, we, that is good. No, so I'm still not going to choose the one that you think that everybody thinks I should choose. Um, and I don't really have a choice here because, uh, because if I don't want to choose that inning, I mean, I could choose it and kind of like quote unquote, win the draft. Cause it's the most famous <laughs> inning, but I have a strong objection to it. Yeah, you can't. So instead, I'm going to take the tenth. That's yeah, that's right. The tenth. I I like that tenth inning. Let's hear it. So I mean, obviously, like if you're in extra innings, the game is exciting by definition. There's no way the game can't be exciting. Now it's tied, and you're in. It's not quite sudden death, but it's just the close that baseball gets to sudden death. And the bottom of every inning is sudden death. And you you know, if you look back through history at some of the greatest baseball games ever played, they go into the 10th inning, like, and, and mm -hmm. perhaps beyond. But, uh, but I, I, it, by definition, the game has to be worth watching. If you're in the 10th inning, the game has to be worth watching because it's tied and it's at the end of the game. And so it, it sort of forces your hand to care about what's happening. Even if it's a, even if it's a, you know, a, a Royals Phillies interleague game in May, and it's and it's two two after nine innings or whatever, and no one cares. You're still like if you're a fan of baseball, you have you're forced into caring about the outcome once as soon as you get into extra innings. Yeah, I think the tenth inning is also a it's a demarcation point where when you are sitting in the stands and it's the tenth inning, you can turn to your friend and you can say, "Man, we're real baseball fans, right?" Because because. There is a fun sort of thing. So everybody, you know, we know the the rhythms sort of toward the end of the seventh, people start going to beat traffic. And then throughout the eighth, especially if it's not that interesting, people start going to beat traffic. At the end of the ninth, whether it's a win or lose or an extra innings, everybody's out of there. They're just gone. And it's 4-4 and it's going into the 10th inning and people are like, I paid for nine innings of baseball. I'm done. And they're just, they gone. And it's astonishing to watch the, you know, 
not during the playoffs, but during a regular season game, 30 to 35% will just empty out at the end of the ninth inning. Right. And, and you're in the 10th and you're like, Oh man, this is, this, this says something about me. Look at me just sticking it out here in the 10th inning. So love the 10th inning. Love that pick. Uh, all right, I'm going to do it. With my third pick, I'm going to take the seventh inning. I don't love the seventh inning, but it does it does have its it does have its uh, charms. It it is there are some of the elements of the eighth inning uh, are true in the seventh inning. Uh, you got the take me out to the ball game thing if if you like it. You can't even uh, summon the enthusiasm to argue. No, for it. I don't That's love the seventh inning. It, it does. It's not. I don't love it. I do. That like look look. I'm I'm. I like it when Nick Offerman or Jeff Garland or somebody goes to to Wrigley and sings seventh inning stretch. That's fun. That's fine. So I appreciate that Bill Murray or something. That's fine. Um, I don't. I don't really like standing. I don't. I think it's oppressive. I don't know why they're asking me to stand, and I'm and I'm not going to do it if I don't want to. Um, but it's still important. And you know, for a long time, the seventh inning like didn't have its own like pitcher, right? The the eighth inning had the setup guy and the ninth inning had a closer. And I really truly believe that one of the big reasons the Kansas City Royals went to two World Series and won uh one of them is they they own the seventh inning. They 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 figured out, you know, and and they didn't just figure it out. They they got lucky in some ways and and smart in some ways. They ended up with three dominant relievers. One would pitch the seventh, one would pitch the eighth, one would pitch the ninth, and they were all closers, and uh, and it was it was dominant. They would win the seventh, and and you would if they were going into the game, if it was going in the game tied going into the seventh, they knew they were going to win. If it was going in the game, they were ahead going into the seventh, they knew they were going to win. And if they went in the game behind going into the seventh, they still kind of thought they might win. And so their seventh inning does have some real strategic value. It has its history, whatever. Uh, I'm going with seventh. Yeah. I mean, the problem is it's been corrupted, right? Because it's no, it's no longer stand up, sing, take me out to the ball game, get a snack and back down. It's now you've got to do God bless America. And you sing the national anthem again. And then you sing America, the beautiful. And then there's a military flyover. And then they bring out five veterans of different, uh, from different branches of the military to applaud for them and then there's a giant flag on the field and that it's just it's become this insane recapitulation of the same kind of pro-america rallying stuff that you did before the game started and right. it started after 9-11 and, and frankly i gotta say when it started after 9-11 i was in favor of it i thought it was sure. like i thought it was kind of beautiful and it's the only thing that steinbrenner uh the old steinbrenner did that I was like, you know what? Good work, man. Like the country needs us <laughs> right now. We all need yeah. this. Like we're standing at the, at the right in the city where this happened, you know, one of the cities where this happened. And uh, I, and I was sort of beautiful and he would bring out the opera singer and the opera singer would sing God bless America. And it, it felt like wonderful. And now it's 18 years later and everybody still does it everywhere. Now they do it in Milwaukee and they do it in, in Seattle and they do it in Houston and it's like it just like that's not what the game needs. Like if they're looking yeah. for ways to speed up the game, I, hey, here's an idea. We already sang the national anthem. We did it at the beginning. You don't need to celebrate America again. And uh, and so it has like that is a that is a huge problem. And it's become a delay, a weird pause in the game 
that didn't used to exist because it just used to be one dumb 90 second song about <laughs> eating peanuts and Cracker Jacks that's sort of quaint and and silly. And now in many stadiums, it's this kind of unnatural pause and it bums me out. And the other thing I'll say is, you know, the famous story is, was it Taft? Who was the president who came? Or was, Wilson? Who was it? I think it was Taft. I Taft, think it was Taft or Wilson or somebody came to a game and he stood up and then everybody stood up and then that's why they we stand up. But the thing is, we shouldn't stand up in the seventh. We should stand up in the fifth. We should stand up when we're halfway home, right? That's if we had it to do over again. I mean, I have a long-standing rant about Thanksgiving that if you had it, if you could start from scratch and make the Thanksgiving holiday be at any point, you wouldn't put it four weeks from Christmas and Hanukkah, or even closer to Hanukkah. Usually, you would put it some other time when there was less going on. But we have this. Do you have two holidays within a month where everyone travels and goes to see their families and <laughs> fights airport crowds and they're right next to each other? So you wouldn't do it. You would put it some other time. And I think the same is true of the seventh inning stretch. I think if you could start over and establish a tradition where everybody stands up and stretches, you would do it in the fifth inning. You wouldn't do it in the seventh inning. That's crazy. You might sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game in the seventh inning. I don't care. But the official like break in the action where you stand up and stretch your legs and stuff, you wouldn't put that in the seventh. You put it in the fifth. Well, especially – well, especially because you put it in the seventh and people are not sitting back down. They're leaving. They're just like, oh, take me up. Okay, that's it. I'm standing up. If you're making me stand up, I'm out of here. And they're just grab your bag and you're gone. And so, yeah, it's not it, – the timing's not right. The timing's not right. Yeah, but I guess, I mean, again, all the other innings are essentially interchangeable. So <laughs> I'm ready for taking it. Um, all right, here's my super controversial pick from the fourth inning. Are you ready for this? Okay. For the fourth pick. I'm choosing the 18th inning. <laughs> there are, there's usually one game a year or two that go to the 18th inning. And I think those are the most fun baseball games because it's like, you know, there's, it's like the old thing where there's a joke that goes on so long. It's, it stops being funny. And if you make it keep going, it gets funny again. It gets funny again. That's yeah. what the 18th inning is to me. Because if you hit the 18th inning and you realize you've just watched a double header in right. back to back, uh, a back to back continuous double header, it, it it really you get loopy like weird things start to happen and <laughs> games almost never go past the 18th inning that's all, if it gets to the 18th inning and obviously there's there's mathematical reasons for this right the odds of a game ending increase as you go on but the, it's almost always games almost that go to the 18th almost always end in the 18th in my experience yeah. it's a little anecdotal but i just like the idea that if you get to the 18th inning, you've done two seventh inning stretches. You did one in the seventh and one in the 14th. And you, uh, and you're, you're literally like, you're like, it's like a, an entirely new, you've been through a crazy, you've been on a crazy journey. You've been like a drug trip. If you've watched 18 innings of baseball and whatever happens, however, the game ends an 18th inning walk-off has got to be one of the most exciting things. <laughs> if you want, if you stayed for the entire game. Uh, I, so I, it's, I'm using the 18th a little bit to stand in for like all deep extra inning games, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, but specifically the 18th, because it means you've just watched two entire baseball games and you are awesome. Yeah. I look, I love the 18th and the 18th is the right number. That's the, the right number is it is the double, the double game. Plus you see 18 it, it, there's, there are two great elements of that. One is you're hundred percent, right? If you're in the stands for an 18th inning, you're one of a few hundred people that stayed for 18 innings, right. right? I mean, it's you're you're just it's just you and and like your loopy friends are watching this game, and it's like being 
at camp, like at like three in the morning where somebody can tell whatever joke they want and everybody's laughing hysterically. Like you're, you're in that giddy phase. That's what that's like because you're in the 18th. You're there. You're not leaving. That game could go 70 innings. You're staying. You've already made that decision. Yeah. You made it way back in like the 15th. You're inning, pot you committed, man. Leave. You are not. You're, you're going to watch the end of this game no matter what. And whatever happens, however it ends, is going to be like amazing. Like it's going to be like nothing. It could be like a Dickie Thon bunt or something. And you're still going to look at it and go, oh my gosh, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen because it ended this five hour thing that you just endured and, and went through. So I love it. I love the 18th. And for that reason, I'm actually going to pick uh, the 12th inning. I'm going to pick the 12th inning with my fourth pick. And the 12th inning is, is different than the 18th because 12th inning, you're, you're not fully pot committed. You could still leave at that point. Like you're, you might be like, all right, if this doesn't end this inning, I'm out of here. Right. But the 12th inning is of course, when Carlton Fisk hit his home run in, in 75, the, the, maybe the most famous home run in baseball history. And, and the, the great thing about that, about that particular uh, game was like it, it was like so insane and so many crazy things happen. And you had the Dwight Evans catch and you had the George Foster throw and you had the, you know, the, the various, the various moments. And then it's the 12th inning and, and everybody's just like, what could possibly happen next? And then it's over. Just that's it. The game is just over because Carlton Fisk turns on a pitch and, and waves it fair and, and whatever. And that's, that to me is like the 12th inning is like its own story. Like it's its own, like whatever's happened has happened. Now we're in the 12th and, and it's like everything starts over. And and that's of course true for the 11th, 13th and 14th. But for some reason, that 12th inning and where it's placed, you've, you've now seen a couple of extra innings. You've, you're, you're really not sure at all what the heck is going on. And, and there's something magical to me about that 12th inning. And yeah, all the rest of the first nine innings are the same. So, so well, I'm also, going to- I think um, baseball is a weird game for a thousand different reasons. But one of the ways it's weird is that it sort of works in chunks of three. That's which true. Is not, That's it's true. It's not a typical thing. You know, it, it, I mean, hockey has obviously three periods, yeah. but baseball has That's nine innings, that. which is a factor of three. And there's right. three outs per inning. And, right. there's, and, and when you're looking at who is, coming up it's always here are the next three hitters and three strikes right. and stuff like that and the, the 12th does have this thing where it's the next chunk of three after <laughs> yeah. again and, and i feel like i've always sort of thought of it that way as like it's another third of a game and and it does have a little bit of an interesting quality i mean another reason that the 18th and the 12th and innings like that are fun is because by the time you get there you know there's some pitcher in the game who's worked four innings uh, or five innings who's not supposed to. And, you know, the next, the day, first time his career, the yeah. next day's starter is is in the game and is going to go forever. It's what happened with Evaldi in that crazy Red Sox-Dodgers game uh, that went forever. Would that go 19? How many innings did that World Series game go? 18? Was that an 18-inning game? It was. Or 17? I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, but, they, but you also have these weird things where – you know, they pinch it for the catcher and then they pinch it for the pinch hitter and there was a double switch. And then you, so you have like the two, three, four 
uh, guys in the lineup are coming up, but it's your backup catcher and it's a pitcher that's not going to hit. And then there's only one guy left on the bench. Like the 12th is where stuff really starts to go haywire because yes. the teams yes. are like desperate to win. And so they start, they start pinch running even more than they have already. And they start pinch hitting and double switching and the, everything gets really screwed up. And if you're, if you're scorekeeping at home, your 12th inning is a mess. It's a mess. By the way, you brought up one of my favorite parts of that, and not just the 12th, but 12th and after usually is that moment where, where we are in the lineup, like what, like, cause, cause so much of that drives the way we're watching games, right? We're watching like, okay, when does the top of the lineup come back up? Because when are we going to get to the middle of the lineup? This, but the 12th or so inning is about the time where you could throw all that out the window. None of that matter. None of the starters are in the game or like two of them are left in the game. So you get to that point where somebody comes up and they're like, oh, who's wh- where are we in the lineup? It's like, doesn't matter. Doesn't anything. This person who is this backup catcher could be hitting fourth. He could be hitting seventh. Yep. He could be hitting leadoff. We have no idea. It doesn't none of it matters. We're just throwing everything out the window. Yeah, I, it was an 18 inning game, by the way. The Red Sox uh, Dodgers was 18 innings. Uh, yeah. it, it's crazy that I picked the 18th and I drafted it given that it was a seven hour and 20 minute game that my favorite team lost. It doesn't matter. They won the world series. Everything's fine. All right. Yeah. It um, here's my last, uh, my last pick, which is like, there's literally only one reason I'm picking and it's not a good reason, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm picking the sixth, um, okay. for, for exactly one reason. If okay. a pitcher is throwing a perfect game, uh, the sixth inning is the seven eight nine hitters, and if the if the pitcher gets through the seven eight nine hitters with the perfect game intact, you start to believe he's going to throw a perfect game. That it's like it's the what like through this five is- you're like, you know what I mean. Through five you're like whatever, who cares? But if you get through six and you're and you look at the box score and it's over two, over two, over two all the way down, it starts to get real interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I that's like the, this. literally the only reason I'm picking. <laughs> And that's that's the only reason that you should pick. And I'm going to pick for for similar reasons. Uh, I'm going to pick the fourth inning as my final pick. Uh, The fourth inning is could not be less interesting in general terms. But there are two somewhat interesting things about the fourth inning. One is a little bit along the lines. If somebody has a no hitter through four, you start paying attention just a little bit. Now that's not when MLB will start alerting you. You won't they, you won't get that alert until after 5 because we're halfway home. But through 4, if somebody has a no-hitter through 4 and you get a text from a buddy saying, "Hey man, Verlander's got a no-hitter through 4." Yeah, you care. Yeah. If you say Verlander is no-hitter through 3, you don't care. Well, it's also you it can- has something to do with the fact that if you if you're through 4, that means you've faced the top of the order at least That's twice, right. right? So it's suddenly That's it's right. like, oh, if he stopped the first 3 guys in the lineup from getting a hit twice, that starts to mean yeah. something. Exactly. And that's the second reason that that the fourth is maybe a little bit better than the rest of the innings. It it tends to be generally speaking a repeat of the first. I mean, if 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 you don't do anything the first three innings, you you start right at the top of the lineup. You're even even if you're not, you know, even if you've gotten a couple of hits, you're starting with the number three, number four. I mean, like like you usually will get good hitters to the plate in the fourth inning. Let, there, you know, when you're watching National League, you you and I grew up as American League guys, but you know, we love the National League for what it is. There are only so many innings where you can see runs being scored. Now that's not this year because this year you can see a home run anytime, but. When we were growing up, and certainly in general terms, 
like you weren't going to score the second or third inning in the National League. I mean, it's that's just that's your bottom of your line. You're certainly not going to score in the third, right? I mean, that's like your pitcher's coming up. You have no chance of scoring. Yeah, and you know that's changed some, but but that's like there were certain innings that like you don't even need to, you third inning is a great inning to go get popcorn or whatever, because you're, you're not, you're, you're not going to score anyway. Fourth inning is generally a, a, a potential scoring inning, uh, no matter what it is. So because of that, because of the fourth inning and because it's sort of when you can start paying attention to a, a no hitter, uh, I'm going to go with the fourth inning. I like it. It's, it's as good as any other inning has a right to be with the fifth pick in the draft. Actually, the 10th pick in the draft. <laughs> By the way, which of the first nine is the is is definitely the, the, the worst inning? There's definitely like the last inning picked. I mean, it's frankly, it's, it's like it's the, the second or the second two, three or four, right, is is the answer. Well, four, I think four is better than two and three. Three and the third inning is kind of bad, too. Second and third innings. You know the excitement of the game is 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 not it's over. I mean, like the the excitement of the game starting, like that's over. Uh, second or third inning, if if it's a normal game, it's like eh, whatever. It's you know, things are just kind of moseying along. You're waiting for something to happen. So yeah, I think those are the those are the and they're still great because it's baseball, but <laughs> they're at the bottom of our inning draft. I think that's right. Well, what we, was this a waste? Well, of time? we did it. That was just. <laughs> <laughs> That could not have been a bigger waste of time. All right. Two last things to do. One is uh, we have to get your update uh, because, you know, we're so glad that you're back, uh, uh, you know, podcasting. But that means are we are we pretty close to having the good place in uh, ready to go? The good place season four. It's almost over. Good place. Uh, season four, the final season is, uh, I think it's September 26th. So we're a, a little more than a month away from the premiere. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Emotional? Been emotional for it you? It has been. Yeah. We're, we actually have a couple tiny things left to shoot. Um, I directed the finale and we have a couple tiny little scenes to pick up because there were actors that we wanted to get who were unavailable or something. But they're, but generally speaking, we're, you know, we're, we've wrapped, we had a wrap party. We said goodbye to everybody. It's, it was very sad, but in a, in tears? a were there, tears? There, were tears. there were tears, there were certainly some oh, tears. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's the good kind. It's the kind where everyone is, you know, feels like we did something that we love and we cared about and got to end it on our own terms, which is a rare thing in Hollywood. So yeah, we're, um, it's, it's all, it's all positive. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. We can't wait. September 26th, you believe, uh, final season of The Good Place. Everybody who, who is listening to this certainly is a fan of The Good Place and has watched it. But if you haven't, um, you're going to want to watch the first three seasons. Yeah, you gotta, you, season if four. you haven't, you got to start from the beginning. <laughs> you, yeah, you gotta, it's <laughs> not going to make a lot of sense unless you start from the beginning. And it's on Netflix? Is it Hulu? I mean, it's on, these, uh, these... The first two seasons are on Netflix, and the third season hits Netflix this uh, Friday, I think. I think uh, this oh. this week, August twenty some seven, something like that. So, all right. As, so of, you, as of the weekend, I think you'll be able to watch all three of the first seasons on uh, Netflix. If you've if you haven't seen it, watch all three seasons. If you have seen it, watch all three seasons. Just yeah. to remind watch yourself them again. How, You're going to want to watch yeah. them again. It's important. You're going to want to watch them again. All right. Finally, one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. sports and we draft things we know like how beaches are terrible places to go no hot fruit for michael nor diet coke for joe
let's let's just keep it going. You go first. Um, I mean, this is this is even meaningless <laughs> under the umbrella of meaninglessness. But um, no one. I'm 43. No one that I work with um, who's under the age of like 30 uses email. Uh, every they only, they only text. So uh, yeah, I still use email all the time, but everybody else just texts or uses WhatsApp or a number of other uh, apps that I don't understand. And what has been really enjoyable for me is now there's a bunch of people that I've worked with for a while now who I started working with when they were like in their like mid twenties, who are now you know after eight or ten years in their you know early thirties or mid thirties. And it has struck me a number of times over the last four years that one of the great joys in life is watching people who once made fun of you for being old and out of touch themselves feeling old and out of touch. And it, it, it's as simple as like now the, 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 the way that they communicate, they all made fun of me for years for using email. And now like they're texting and now everyone is like, you still text? Like, <laughs> and, and I, I, you, you go from over the course of 10 years, I've gone from feeling like, oh man, I'm old to just delighting in how old I am. And it makes me just <laughs> want to do nothing but send emails or telegrams or whatever, because uh, I've, I've watched the, I've watched the generation of writers younger than me themselves start to feel like they're old and out of touch. And it's really wonderful. And I, and I am so happy and comfortable uh, in my, in my dotage, in my Hollywood dotage. <laughs> uh, and so that's it. That's all. That's my observation is it's a, it's a, it's a rare joy and a rare pleasure to watch the people younger than you start to feel old. I love this so much. I love this so much. I picked up my daughter went to, uh, uh, she did, a like a journalism camp of all things, uh, in New York, uh, over the summer. And I went to pick her up, uh, from the camp, uh, which was great. And she saw, one of her friends, um, as we were leaving, she went to her summer friends and went over and gave her a big hug. And then she said to her, and, and this, I watched this happen. She said, Oh, we ought to exchange email addresses. She said this to her friend, we ought to exchange email addresses. And then both of them started laughing hysterically. Like it was like a joke, like an inside joke about how outdated email right. is that, oh, we ought to exchange email. It's, it would be like me coming to you and saying, you know, we we ought to exchange, um, you know, uh, stamps, like rubber yeah. stamps, like, you know, the, the wax stamps wax in order seals. to- yeah. Yeah. We should exchange yeah. our wax seals so that when we write each other, we know who it's coming from. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that was, that was quite enjoyable to watch. All right, my one last meaningless thing sort of goes back to one of our many, many stupid uh, ideas about what one last meaningless thing should be, which was little inventions that make you happy. Um, and I was just seeing this and, and I don't really have a, uh, like a bit with it. I don't, I just, I just really appreciate it. And that is the ties that like, uh, that you put on bread, like the bag of bread in order to keep it airtight, sure. those ties, those are awesome. I, I just, I, it's, it's so stupid. And I really, and of course you put those ties on everything on garbage can bags and whatever. I'm, I'm not saying that's specifically the reason that I love it. Those things are, you never think about like how ingenious those are like that. You can still keep tying them and untying them and tying them again and untying them again. And they're pretty much they, they never stop working really, unless you, unless you happen to tear them or whatever, they never stop working. They just keep going. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. And 
I was just, I you went to make myself as, as, as we will here on the podcast, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, untied the little thing, took out the bread, tied it back up. And for the first time in my life said, man, thank you to that guy for inventing or, or woman, whoever invented that thing. Um, thank you. That is such a useful little thing. That little tie. I wonder so, who makes those. Who's like, is there a factory that makes those? There must be, right? There has to be, right? I mean, and they're probably making, it, like my dad always, like every time I we talk about, you know, some stupid thing, my dad be like, oh, somebody made a billion dollars off of that. And I'm like, I don't know if they did or not, but there has to be like somewhere in like Wisconsin, there has to be like a, the, the tie factory, yeah, right? Or the New little, Jersey little... probably or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's an don't you think it's an amazing thing though? I mean it really is. It I is. Mean, and I it, I really hate when it's that one piece of plastic with the sort of oh with the little the hole. End. Yeah. Oh, terrible, terrible. Well, like why? Like this other thing is so perfect. Yeah, I know it bums me out. I I like I, I much prefer the twist tie. I like the twist tie. Twist ties are great. All right. Well, truly, Mike, we, truly, we by did the way, it. Tr- I, I know we say this every every time. The most meaningless we've ever been right <laughs> well first of all we're never going to top the meaningless of the inning draft right i, I think i, I, we, I, I we, think we can do we've it come close <laughs> we've come close before but but we've we at some point uh you know the only way we could do it is we have talked about it i think we still need to do this we have talked about doing a pun draft with megan amram right yes we need to do that that would be more meaningless yeah. don't you think yes a hundred percent and it would be way more fun <laughs> we i'm worried about doing it just because we would get crushed right oh, I, mean, there, we there, do, I, I mean honestly i think we need to we need to just back off and let her talk for like an hour <laughs> what, I don't what think if she drafts it for all of us yeah yeah i think mean, she should draft for all of us that's right <laughs> that would all right that's gonna happen we're gonna make that happen in the next uh that that's that's something for podcast listeners to, to all right uh, megan amram we're calling to. you out we we need you to come on and, dra- <laughs> and talk about puns for an hour it's all we want. It's all we want in life. Awesome. Well, Mike, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me.